Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 30 to 44. But our focus is 30 to 37. Last week, you recall, we talked about Jesus is our what? Jubilee. He's our jubilee. Every 50 years in the Old Testament was a year of release. And if you look at Luke 4, 18 and 19, he sets the captive free. He gives sight to the blind, right? He gives liberty to the oppressed. And that jubilee remains, right? That good news, the year of release that, yeah, he's the fulfillment, you could say, of, of jubilee. And the rest of Luke is really the uncovering of that, the good news for a lost and sinful and, and broken world. And so we come to verse 30. Our focus is verses 30 to 37, but we'll read to the end of 44. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone! We have, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. Come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he told, stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with very various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them and demons also came out of many crying out and saying you are the christ the son of god and he rebuking them to not allow them to speak for they knew that he was the christ now when it was day he departed and went into the deserted place and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So you see all these signs, right? Miracles are simply his signs confirming his word, that he is the Messiah. See that here in, these, in this remaining passage of Luke 4. But our focus this afternoon is on verses 31 to 37. You know, I was going to title uh, the sermon, you know, even the devil goes to church. And I think that could be misunderstood, but that's what we see happening here. The devil goes to church. He has no reason to go to the temple. He has that, but he wants, <laughs> he wants to be in church. And I remember hearing that as a young kid, you know, my parents reminding me, just remember the devil also goes to church. 
course, he goes for a different reason than what we would. He never misses a service. Satan never misses a worship service. You know, he knows that worship. He knows that the word of God is the moment of God's most powerful activity on earth. The worship service. The most powerful activity of God on earth. Changing hearts. That's what spirit is doing. Changing lives. That's the workshop of the Holy Spirit. Powerful. Momentous. The devil doesn't like it. You think the devil likes it? Oh, he hates it. Especially when men are rescued. People are rescued to worship the true and living God. He hates it. Because in worship, what happens also is we engage in conflict. We engage in conflict against the devil, against sin and rebellion, and against the kingdom of darkness. It's not simply worshiping the Lord. That is, first of all, but as we're doing that, we're engaging in conflict. We're engaging in warfare against Satan and his minions and the workers of iniquity and the um, kingdom of darkness. You know what we do in worship? We hear the word. We sing the word. We pray the word. We confess the word. We fellowship around the word. It makes the apostles Peter words to believers in 1 Peter is it 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9? Very, very real, doesn't it? Be sober. Right? Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. That's where Satan roars like a lion. It's in the church, among his people. And you've got to resist him. And the best place is in worship as we hear the word and as we sing the word and as we confess the word together. The Apostles' Creed. These are, you could say, notes of warfare against the kingdom of darkness at the same time as we confess our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke 4 here, Jesus, who is Jesus? The Son of God, God in the flesh. He reveals his, digni his dignity, you could say his, his authority, his matchless authority, unmatched authority, through his word, where? In a church service. Remember, the synagogues of that day are not like the Jewish synagogues of today. They're very much like a church service. They were God's people, God's covenant people, right? It would eventually transform into a church. It was very much an assembly of believers who met together. And who else comes to that worship service? The devil, the devil, he's there very much. And in this particular case, in time, a conflict breaks out. And Christ, by his word, casts them out, leaving the people amazed. And I think this is really a powerful phrase in this text. What a word this is. What a word this is. And, you know, we should be amazed by that word. And when we're amazed by that word, then the world, too, may be amazed by that word. And you notice how the truth triumphs. The truth triumphs through the surrounding region. That's the blessed result of, of the authority of God's word. It gets out there. And that's what we see in verse 
in the final verse here in our text, verse 37. So we're going to see three things this morning. Jesus reveals his authority through his word, first of all, in his teaching. It's just, it's not like any teaching of the world. This is truth, the only truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So in his teaching, second of all, he confirms it, the truth of his teaching, by casting out a demon. So in his teaching, first of all, by casting out a demon, third of all, and then through the witness of the members, through the witness of the congregation. That's how another way that Jesus reveals his unique authority, not only over us, but over us as king of the world. Today, of course, as he sits on the throne, the Lord of lords and the king of kings. So these verses, verses 31 to 42, it just, let's just look at the whole thing just for a moment so we get a, an idea of what's going on the entire passage. But notice that all this activity occurs on one day. It was the Lord's day. Actually, it was a Sabbath day, the day of rest. All in one day. His teaching in the synagogue, his casting out of the demon, demon-possessed man, the healing of a demon-possessed man, his visiting Peter's home, and then healing Peter, uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law. And even after sunset, when Jesus was probably just exhausted, people are just coming in by the droves, bringing their sick, bringing their blind for healing and for, um, and for, for comfort. Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, remember, has already defeated Satan in the wilderness of temptation. We saw that in chapter 4 earlier, 4, 1 through 13. He's defeated Satan by means of the word of God, and he does that for us. And now, from that point on, marks the beginning of Jesus' conquest. Remember how Joshua went with the people into the land of Canaan? That was their conquest. Well, you see that here with Jesus. He begins with his conquest. And now we witness the coming of the kingdom. The coming of the kingdom comes and invades into the kingdom of darkness. It's going to conquer the kingdom of darkness. And in these verses, what you see here is Christ, the anointed one. He's the anointed one. If you look at Luke 4, 18 and 19, anointed to do what? To preach the gospel. That's the first thing. So often people focus on Jesus, just Jesus' miracles. But if you look at verse 44, he came to do one thing, preach the gospel. That is the powerful thing. It's the preaching of the gospel. He came to bring deliverance to the captives. You see in verses 4, 18 and 19, recovery of sight to the blind, setting free those who are oppressed. There you see the jubilee. Jesus in the Jubilee. Here you see Jesus reversing the curse and bringing blessing and life and light, the light of his kingdom, the light of fellowship under his blessing. And where does Jesus begin his ministry? Not in Judea, not in Samaria, in Galilee. That, ew, Galilee. It's sort of that low area, that despised area north of Israel. You notice that how many prophets in the Old Testament came from Galilee? One. <laughs> there was only one prophet that came from Galilee. That was Jonah. All the other ones came from the south. Now, of course, that's in the Lord's plan. But it's interesting. The people, the leaders of the Jews in that day in Jerusalem kind of looked down upon the people of Galilee because, ah, oh, Nazareth? What can come out of Nazareth that's nice and good? Right? But they kind of had disdain for the whole area. 
Well, that's where Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. And you know where his, where his headquarters are, not in Jerusalem, but it's in Capernaum, down by the sea. And that's where he would carry out his ministry all throughout Galilee. But more importantly, what he's doing here is he's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 9. And Isaiah 9 talks about how the light will first break out in Galilee of the north. Let me read that to you. By the way of the sea, it says in Isaiah 9, beyond the Jordan, in the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So yeah, that's where Jesus begins his ministry. He's rejected in Nazareth. They don't want anything to do with him, with his ministry. And it should not surprise us also that in the first miracle of Luke, the very first miracle in Luke deals with a conflict, a battle between Christ and Satan. Because after all, that's why Christ came, to defeat Satan for us and to liberate us from, cap from, from captivity to Satan. The very first miracle. And notice where it occurs? During a worship service. Satan knows what he's doing. The best place to exercise his, his uh, you could say, his, his works of darkness is most of all in a worship service. And that's what happens here. Notice the first thing we know in uh, verses 31, 32, is that in, as he did every, every Sabbath, he was teaching in, the, in, in Capernaum, right, in the synagogue, every Sabbath, and here too, he taught with authority. Authority. He taught regularly on the Sabbath at the synagogue of Capernaum. And notice verse 32. They never heard anything like him. They were just hearing, so used to hearing people saying, do this, do this, do this, the scribes. He was not teaching us the scribes. They weren't harsh. They, they were harsh. But there was something so unique about Jesus and his authority that they were astonished. Why are they astonished? For his word was with authority. The word of God was coming with authority through him. Why is that? Because Jesus himself is the word. He's the word of God in the flesh. God incarnate. And we beheld his glory. They were beholding something of, wow. You know, the word incarnate, the word in the flesh. And there's something unique and special about him. He spoke the truth. There was no lies. There were no jokes. He simply spoke the truth and he was exposing the lies. He spoke of matters of great, great, great importance. He was speaking about matters of life, of death, and of eternity. He spoke as a savior, really being concerned about the welfare of people's souls. You know where, you know where you're going. What's your relationship with God like? I've come to be that healer of that relationship between you and God. He's always pointing to the Father, pointing to his love in Christ in himself. And he's the one who's going to give his own life to save his people. 
from their sin and rebellion. He's the one who speaks with authority. You could say that he's the one who draws from himself from the fountain of living waters. That, that's the one who speaks. You notice that his authority, his word commands what? Commands attention. It compels a response, a decision from everyone who was listening in the synagogue. A response of submission to Christ, repentance of sin, faith in Christ, obedience to him. After all, he's the God in the flesh, the one who has come among us and here in the synagogue. Astonished, just astonished. But being astonished is not enough. They need to believe. It doesn't say that they believed here. They're just awed, amazed, awestruck. But they need to believe. They're attentive. Oh, are they ever. They're following along everything that Jesus is saying. He's, after all, teaching the truth. It's really, really quiet. So quiet, you could hear a pin drop. I don't know what the synagogue was made of. Maybe if it had a, a, a ground floor, you probably wouldn't hear a pin drop, but it was that quiet. They never heard anything like him. And who else is listening? Oh, the devil. Oh, he's being a good little boy right now. Everything's quiet. He's listening. But he doesn't like the truth. You know, the wicked never like the truth. They don't like the gospel. And... Uh, and he's there to make sure that he causes some sort of trouble in the church. He hates the truth. And suddenly that calm and quiet spirit environment is broken with this loudest scream. I, I, I could never scream. I mean, that scream is such as that it was a screech. The, the, the word there is it just brings out the... It was a yell, it was a scream, it was so loud, it was piercing to the ear, you would probably have to go like this. And it came from a man who's sitting in this packed, packed synagogue. And we're told here it was a man with the spirit of an unclean demon. What he does, he disrupts the service. What he does, he manages to turn the people's attention away from Christ away from the word, so that everybody is now looking at that man, but that man with the unclean spirit. And a conflict breaks out, right? A, a violent exchange breaks out between the devil and Jesus. And that's where we come to the second point. Notice how Jesus reveals his authority by confirming it, by casting out that demon. You know, this demon was in the man. It's the demon in the man who's speaking. It's not even so much the man himself, but the demon is using his mouth. Inside, lodged inside, speaking through the mouth of the man. And he cries out with a loud voice, saying, and he gives these words, let us alone. Begs the question, who's the us here? Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You can imagine, maybe some people probably ran out because this is a scary moment. Are we safe here? Uh, there's someone who's reacting to Jesus. 
I think before we go further, I think we should say a few things about demons here. And we don't want to dwell on demons too long because they're evil, they're wicked, they're pernicious, they're real. Uh, they're not fake. They're actually, they actually exist. And we know from the Bible, we go to many texts, we don't have time for that now, but we know from the Bible that demons are fallen angels. They used to be good angels whom God created to worship him. But there's a number of angels that rebelled against God. And those angels became demons. And Satan himself is a fallen angel. But he's the leader of the pack. He's, or you could say, the king or the prince among demons. They're evil. They're spirits. They don't have a body. And that's why they're, and they're evil. And that's why they're called unclean here. And by the way, there's no salvation for fallen angels. No salvation for demons. There's only self, God came to bring his salvation only for people. So this also, also the demons know that there's no salvation for them. And so this man here, sitting in the synagogue, not in his right mind either, is possessed with a demon. In other words, a demon enters into him. And now the devil wants to show his power. He wants to make people scared of Jesus and give reasons to not go to Jesus, to run away from him, to stay away from him. He's there to challenge Jesus' power and make everyone afraid. That's what's going on here. Another thing we should understand here, demon possession occurred during the time of Christ's ministry on earth. You hardly hear of it before, and you hardly hear about it after in the Bible. The Bible says very little about it before Christ's ministry or after Christ's ministry. Why might that be? It's because Christ has come from heaven at this moment, at this time in redemptive history, and there is that clash between Satan and Christ is most out in the open, most evident, most powerful, and it manifests itself so openly because it's now between the two, you could say, heads, Christ and Satan, during this time of redemptive history. I'm not going to say there's no demon possession today. I'm just saying that this kind of demon possession only occurred in Christ's day. This kind, this, as what we read here. Jesus, having come from heaven into the world, Satan knows his days are numbered. He's been defeated in the wilderness of temptation, and he's soon to be crushed by Christ through his death and resurrection on the cross. And the devil, during this time of Christ's ministry, is like a caged squirrel. You ever try to corner a squirrel? Right? It, it, they're fierce. I tried it one time, and it happened, and it was, I thought I'd get out of the way. But that was the devil during the time of Christ's ministry. Because he knows that if Christ would die and rise again from the dead, that signified the end. But he still had moments. It was like a, it was like a wasp, right? A stinger that's about to lose a stinger. Let us alone, says the demon. Ay, ay, that's the sense there. Ay, ay, their sense of hostility towards Christ. The demon is speaking through the mouth of the man. And this demon seems to realize that what's going to happen to him is also going to happen to his fellow demons. So us refers to 
that demon. And of course, how many demons are there? Us. Refers to all of them. He's fearful, that demon, but also like a caged squirrel, he's lashing out against Christ. He screams and shrieks and he says, what have we to do with you? He's trying to bring division in the congregation there. Jesus of Nazareth, all things are pointed to, the, to Jesus. He's the one to blame. He's the one whom he attacks. We have nothing in common. That's what he's announcing to the congregation. There's nothing in common between us and you. Jesus of Nazareth. He specifically points out so that no, everyone's clear in their mind who he's opposing. Who is he going against? That's Jesus of Nazareth. So that no one in the congregation is mistaken that he means this one. Have you come to destroy us? Well, yes, they know that. And that's why they ask the question, because Jesus says in 1 John 3, verse 8, what does he say there? Actually, the scripture says there, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Indeed, Jesus come to seek and save the lost and hurl Satan and the demons into the abyss and all the workers of iniquity into the kingdom of darkness, that place of eternal punishment. They know their day was really short in the time of Christ's ministry on earth. And then the demon continues, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see it a little bit later in verse 41 as well. Uh, I think it's 41, yes. And again later that evening, there were demons coming, people uh, who were demon-possessed. And Jesus rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. They were saying, you are Christ, the Son of God. You know, you talk about people who believe the demons know who Jesus is. They acknowledge who Christ is more than what many in the world do. Many world deny that Jesus is the Son of God. They know. They don't, they don't believe in the sense of, of believing and trusting in Christ, but they have that knowledge, apart from faith, that this is who Jesus is. And... Uh, um, and, they're, and they're acknowledging that. If you look at James 2, 5, 19, or James 2, 19, it says, even the demons believe. Even the demons believe, they shudder. You know, people who oppose that fact that Jesus is the Son of God, you hear that all over? The demons know. And they know, but they're scared. They know what they're up against. Jesus will not allow the devil to proclaim who he is, though. He shuts him up. That's not the devil's business. And besides, the devil has no right to interrupt the worship service from him and steal the worship service from him. Verse 35, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. Come out of him. The sense there is, Be muzzled. It's the same word that he uses with respect to the storm on the sea. Be still. It's the exact same word. Jesus rebuked it. And you see that sudden, it was over. It wasn't like, sometimes people talk about demon possession today and took, you know, three hours before he was in his right mind again. This was instant. Okay. Um, this was the power of Christ. And, you know, th that's why they're simply amazed. What word is this? What word is this? 
before, but before the demon leaves the man, he's going to try to kill the man. He's going to try to kill that man. And what does the demon do? The demon throws the man into the midst of the congregation. You can imagine that man bouncing around the congregation. But the demon leaves. That's the important thing here. The demon leaves. He's cast out. The man stands up. No injuries. Healed. Cured. Christ came to proclaim liberty to the captives. And he shows here that he is the true Messiah. Let the world hear. Boy, and they're going to share that with the surrounding region. They need to hear this. You notice that? Verse 36. They're just wide-eyed. They're just speechless. And then they start talking among each other. You know what? What a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. They're amazed. I think most of all because of his word. Not because what they saw, but his word, the power of his word to just cast out the demon. But you wonder, eh? Were they deeply affected by Jesus' love shown towards the demon-possessed man? Were they overawed by, wow, look at the grace. Look at the love of Christ towards this man. He's been ransomed. He's been delivered. He's been healed. He's been forgiven. Yes, Jesus reveals his authority through his word and his teaching, you see, by casting out demons or the demon or a demon, I should say. And finally, he uses the witness of the congregation. That's another way that Jesus reveals his authority. No, 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 Satan. You may not make known who Christ is. You have the right ideas about him, but that's, that was not Satan's task. It is the privilege of the congregation of believers to share the report of what Christ has done, to make him known. See verse 37? And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Literally the word report, there is sound. Think of the sound of the trumpet, the jubilee, right? Every jubilee, the sound of the trumpet, you'd hear the blowing of the horn. Well, that sound continued to ring throughout the land, the news about Jesus. It actually comes from that word echo. If you look at the original, the word report comes from the word echo. What's an echo? An echo is something that reverberates and repeats itself. Even after the original sound is done, it's still making waves. Well, it went into every place in the surrounding region, and you see the results, the blessed results of that in verse 40. All those who had any that were sick with very diseases brought them to him. It was a way of introducing Jesus to the community. You see the same word used in relation to the church in Thessalonica. Let's just go there for a second. In 1 first, in first Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. Although here, of course, Christ is no longer on earth, but he's now in heaven as he has risen and ascended Christ. And he speaks his word through the servant Paul by the power of his spirit. What does Paul say to the congregation in Thessalonica? He says, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. There's that same word, echo. 
It echoed forth in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that you do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. You know, the power of God's word showed, and they're turning from false gods and the temples to serve the true and living God. And there was conflict, no doubt. They had to engage with the powers of evil, the powers of darkness, probably from family, probably from relatives. Because Paul talks there about how they endured much conflict, much. There was a lot of conflict because they came to obey the truth. You received the word in much affliction, says Paul, and yet with joy of the Holy Spirit. The result, the word sounded forth. It echoed. What a word this is. Jubilee. Jesus is our jubilee. Sins forgiven. Slaves set free. It's in the church. It's in worship where God carries out his most powerful activity. His most powerful activity. And that same authority is among us today in the word, through the word, which is called living and active. And with God's word, Christ engages us. We can't avoid conflict, never. He engages us in conflict against the devil, against sin, against the rebellion. Of course, that also means it addresses our own sin and rebellion too. It's always a conflict. Satan rages on. And yet, may his truth triumph through us in the surrounding region. Goro. May his truth triumph through us through the surrounding region. The body they may kill, Martin Luther said, but God's truth remains. It abides still. His kingdom is forever. Hope to sing that in a few minutes. Christ by his spirit does his work through the word. He continues today to set captives free from sin and Satan, forgiving, restoring fellowship. And miracles in Luke 4 shows what his grace still does today. I like what Joel Beakey says in his comment on this passage. He says, it's Christ's grace that drives back sin. It drives back Satan. And it brings peace restores fellowship to miserable, undeserving sinners. Yes, the devil still goes to church today to try to distract, to disengage, to devour. He doesn't bother going to the temples down the street. He has no need to. There's no threat there. The threat is here. Those worshiping false gods are already captive to him. There's no threat there to the kingdom, to his kingdom of darkness. But praise God for his sovereign grace. This is really our hope for the gospel going out into this community. Who would ever think a man with an unclean spirit would come into the synagogue of Jesus or the synagogue of that day? Well, ultimately it was he, it was Christ who brought a man like us into church with an unclean spirit 
in order to set them free through the word. He's sovereign, not Satan. God used Satan in such a way that he would glorify himself and his power through his word. Never, ever lose your astonishment. May we never lose our astonishment over the authority of God's word. Be amazed. What a word this is. We tend to get very, uh, we, we, we become very, um, uh, how should I say it? We get very used to it, right? Very, very used to it because it's just all the time. It was all the time in synagogue too in Capernaum. But what a word this is. And knowing this, being anointed in Christ today, we have the privilege to echo his word to the blind, to the brokenhearted. This is what we see happening here. And we have to be really patient, no doubt. But who does a victory belong to? Christ. Even as we, we bring the good news to the brokenhearted around us, there's many. We have some actual examples among us uh, in the community. God will do his work. Don't give up. Don't give up. Continue. Because the devil does not have the last word. Christ does. May his truth triumph through us. Sound the trumpet. It's going to cause conflict. But that's okay. That's okay. Jesus endured that conflict forever er, for us, and he won over it. Let's go forward in faith. The body they may kill, but God's truth abide still. His kingdom is forever. Amen.